<laughs> we have just been sealed into a vat by we're, our friend Anthony. We're in a studio. Yeah. Hope so. you're enjoying the effort that we've made to get here in the quest of superior sound quality. It is incredible. The journey, the journey that we have been on is incredible. I feel like we should, I feel like we're a band in a hotel room and we should really trash something. Don't. It's, it's our first day. It's to throw quiet us in here though. You can tell how how it comes to be that people have nervous breakdowns in sound studios. <laughs> I love how Anthony basically has no faith in us either because what he's done is he's set it up <laughs> so he's recording. So hang on, let me just give a bit of background. So as you may be aware of if you listened to the last podcast, uh, Kathy uh, decided she'd had enough and, you know, good on her and whatnot, so she's gone off to do some other stuff. And so now um, Anthony is producing us and we're actually in a semi-professional situation. Well, actually, not it's fully that, professional. Not that Kathy is not a professional. She's a highly skilled <laughs> and intensely patient person who I'm sure will be enjoying your characterization of. She had enough, so good on her. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Anthony, we're actually in a studio with proper microphones. Anyway, he started recording and he has managed to, so it's not just on the computer, he's got a gigantic TV screen on the wall, it which is, is projecting, yeah. projecting like the recording. And he said, if you notice that that line stops moving, yeah. come and get me. He knows what level we're, we're functioning at. <laughs> Look, this is, I mean, you know, um, how ironic that Kathy, after, you know, years of suffering uh, with the medieval contraceptive device and how sometimes, well, let's be frank, your uh, failure to switch it onto two track or something. So, you know, her finally just um, moving on from that frustrating phase is what has in fact given birth to this new era of competency and where producing this podcast is um becomes easier that's that's pretty shit ass yeah. sorry kathy and thank you again for your um, excellent and, <laughs> and inspired perhaps, perhaps service the opening several minutes of this pod have explained why kathy might have felt that is anyone still to... listening is my other question <laughs> Anyway, so here we are. Hey, it seems timely to start by talking about Parasite, which at the time of us recording this has just won, just swept the Oscars. I can't remember. Remind me who picked it as their favourite film of last year, having seen it on a Qantas flight. You. Um, I only just saw it on Saturday night, actually. Um, Look, it's really... It was. I really enjoyed it. It's it's interesting. It's It's bizarre, isn't it? It's bizarre, yeah. Um, So... Just to give people the premise, the premise is of a poor family um, in, is it in Seoul? Is that I assume so. Seoul, yeah. It's like a bloody huge city. Huge city but, yeah. Um, yeah. I assume it's Seoul. could be another South Korean city. Um, in Seoul, uh, none of them are working. They're really struggling. It opens with them in their apartment trying to find a, you know, a tiny slot and basically they perch on the toilet where they can get the Wi-Fi from the free, you know, the restaurant upstairs, upstairs whatever. Yeah. Um, they're and, in a basement. Too, and they're in so a basement, yeah. Pretty, it's pretty rough. Grungy. They're looking at people's feet all day. Yeah. And so the son, uh, a friend is going off somewhere and he says, hey, I tutor a, a, the daughter of a really rich family. You should take over the job. Which um, So the son gets this break and he does. And when he arrives there, he sees, oh, I think there's some opportunities here to get the rest of my family some work. And it basically goes from there. I thought it it starts – I loved the premise and yeah. I loved how that sort of built. Um, it starts as a psychological thriller. I thought at about the halfway two-third point it became just a horror film. Yeah. Um, see, I hate horror films. So do I, yeah. And I'm seriously freaked out by them. I didn't, I didn't quite classify this as a horror film. I think because I was jiggy with it being kind of a comedy and yeah, then it just definitely. got – it, the tension just ratchets further and further um, up. And 
I would say it's a suspense film. Yeah, it definitely is a suspense but film. But with elements of comedy. I mean, it's. I thought it was really sophisticated and really compelling. Do you know what's amazing is that we've just basically gone, it's a psychological thriller, it's a horror film, it's a black comedy, and we all sort of roughly agree with that um, characterisation. I mean, fancy getting all of that into the one film. I know. That is amazing. And, I mean, I saw, I mean, as is customary, you see half a film on a flight and then I went out and found the rest of it and right. watched it because I really wanted to know what happened. I mean, it, it kind of, we landed at a fairly crucial tension point. Oh, yeah, right. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's, an, there's a kind of exuberance about it and a sort of epic blackness as well mm. as a, I don't know. It's, it's social commentary too. Yeah, exactly. Class, class yeah. commentary. The, one of the scenes I found the most affecting and not really giving anything away uh, is the scene where the family is hiding under the coffee table. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, that was that was really moving uh, and just really packed a punch. Um, I thought the fa- wasn't the father fantastic. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, and the the rich mother I thought was also really something. Isn't that fun? I mean, like I was listening. I think one of the interesting things about um, about that film winning Best Picture is that it's completely thrown into question the assumptions that have habitually been made about who wins Oscars and kind of. Bloody about time too. I mean, I remember I was listening to the which if I can't remember film expert, US film expert that Fran Kelly had on the morning of the Oscars, and Fran was saying, "Well, you know, what about?" He'd just finished explaining how no female director should be offended or annoyed that none of them was uh, nominated for best director because some films made by women had been di- um, nominated for best picture and also they would have got a bump, you know, in ticket sales. Also, so, like, it's, really, it's a merit. I mean, it's a merit process. It's a merit process. A merit yeah. Process. So there shouldn't be any female directors, you know, annoyed or upset or feeling, you know, jerked around by the fact that not one of them made it to the best director, even though a bunch of them made it their made it the best picture. Anyway, la la. I was already a bit annoyed by this guy. <laughs> and Fran said, well, what about Parasite? And he just said, no, that's not going to win. No, that's not going to happen. <sighs> so when it won, I thought, ha-ha, I can't remember what your name is. Sucked in. Did you see what? the director's um, acceptance speech? No, I read oh. a bit of it. I read a bit about well, it. Well, he was up a few yeah. times. But, um... I shall drink all night. Yeah. <laughs> it was, there was a really lovely bit where so he sort of got up and he said, you know, just whatever the sort of pl- opening platitudes are that you make. And then he said, he was speaking in Korean yep. um, and there was a translator next to him. And then he said something and he was looking into the audience and it was all just Korean, 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 Martin Scorsese, Korean, 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 Korean. <laughs> yeah. And then, and everyone sort of cheered. And then the translation was, um, I can't believe I'm here because when I was at film school, I studied the works of the great Martin Scorsese right. and there he's right there. Um, and then the next line was um, Korean, 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 Quentin Tarantino, Korean, Korean, right. Korean, Korean, Korean. Um, and then it was the translation for that was, and when nobody was watching my film, Quentin Tarantino was putting it on his list of films. You know how he's yeah, big into right. foreign yeah. Um, yeah. cinema and so forth. Um, Quentin Tarantino was telling people, go watch this film and yeah. say thank you very much. Um, so how amazing for him that, you know, you're yeah. nominated and you've won against these people that you consider to be huge influences and huge um, idols and whatnot. Well, also, God, the thing, it just gives everybody something else to talk about apart from, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio. Is this the year? I mean, like, it just seems like the Oscars, which I've never been massively into anyway, just seems to be the same in discussions every year. Brad Pitt's having a moment, isn't he? Like, yeah. Like an amazing sort of, and his speeches have been really funny. I love that line about when he got the BAFTA, um, I'm going to put this on my Tinder profile. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's done a few. He did that quite funny kind of um, uh, long distance ones for the BAFTAs, didn't he, as well? Acceptance. Oh, yeah, that's but, right. But um, I'm just worried about Joaquin Phoenix that he's going to like run out of ways to flagellate himself. Oh, and also, you know, I don't know. I don't. I he's don't... the sashing little fella feather of our generation, isn't he? <laughs> I don't love, like, also you don't always have to say something like deep, profound and meaningful. Like just go, you know what, this was such a great experience. I loved it. Thanks everyone who came to see it. Yeah. I think Cheers. people think it's an audition now. Yeah, maybe. Although I do love every every Oscars. I just want someone to make a real tit of themselves as well. Like I enjoy that. <laughs> people like, don't do it that often. It doesn't happen that often. I was thinking about this the other day, thinking about actually the Logies, Australia's version, <laughs> um, and thinking. How many have you got? Those, those, those um, days when people used to show up dressed in really wacky outfits. I mean, everyone there looks amazing now. Everyone's yeah, dressed is very. Yeah. But I think everyone nobody's dresses... being the Bjork or the um, no it Celine Dion with the backwards tucks. Yeah, oh, I love that. No, and but also I think people generally, and I mean, geez, I include myself in this dress very safely, like elegantly and safely. There's not a lot of pushing the fashion envelope, if you know what I mean. Man, I want to see you in a meat dress at the next <laughs> Logies. Actually, it need to be plant-based, I think, just to catch the, the zeitgeist. zeitgeist. A tempeh dress. <laughs> Lee um, Sales a knockout in small-length tempeh. <laughs> I can be drinking that plant water that or, you're no, now into. actually, too furky. <laughs> Mate, I ate tofurkey last week. It's delicious. Really? I yield to no one in my my secret shameful admiration for tofurkey. Do you know, somebody was telling me, um, I was just in London at the end of my holidays and I was oh, noticing there God, would you how... shut up about your overseas <laughs> holiday? Somebody was um, saying, I was noticing like, my God, the trend towards plant-based stuff there is really in your face, like really everywhere. Right. Um, and somebody was saying to me, I haven't read it, but I just thought I'd check if you have. The New Yorker had a piece about the quest for the perfect hamburger. Like the, right. The, oh, my God. And bleed. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I read that. I read that. Yeah, and they make one that bleeds. Is it beetroot that makes yeah, it's it? Yeah, beetroot that makes it bleed. And I, look, by the end of it, I wanted to eat that burger. Um, but I, look, first of all, I'm thrilled that finally technology is being deployed to make plant-based food interesting and mm, kind of well, yeah, appealing rather than, you know, putting it into another variation of stuffed crust on the pizza or, you know, any sort of vile um, uh, innovation in the meat field. So I like that. But I'm surprised by how quickly it's happened too. Like even if I go into an Australian supermarket yeah. where there used to be a sort of like shameful little corner with the, with the you know, tofu nuggets or whatever, there's just these this bewildering range yeah. of stuff. I mean, I would never go to that, you know, those, um, the extreme of the vegan Asian tradition where they make kind of fake chicken drumsticks and oh, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really uh, jiggy with that, but um, I do like a bit of variety. Yeah, it's it was interesting because it, my friend that I'm in London that I mentioned it to said to me, oh, if you go outside of, you know, the sort of downtown London mm. area, you'll find um, you, you'll be back into McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken mm. and all that stuff. But um, certainly around you know all the touristy Piccadilly Circus you know Leicester Square all that part of London London Bridge all the rest of it all of the fast food was um it wasn't all vegetarian but I mean you didn't see like McDonald's I never saw yeah. McDonald's or anything King like that. King Street in Sydney has got like about five different burger joints that do not serve meat they all serve burgers but yeah. they're all you know and there is this the thing that was interesting um to me about that article that you're talking about is that um the chef in question, because he was a big like barbecue chef, wasn't he? He was like a meat monster who I didn't had read it, so I don't know. Yeah. All right, um, who had 
who um, was like absolutely shamed by vegans and then a couple of years down the track set up this vegan burger joint sort of as a challenge and he was saying well the first thing is you don't call it meat free or meatless you don't make a um, you don't hang a lantern on its deficiencies oh. and what it doesn't um, oh, include. You call it plant-based or whatever. Right. Or like I've noticed in a lot of these restaurants um, in the inner west of Sydney, target zone for <laughs> vegans, um, they don't even really say. Like you yeah. can't, you've got to work it out really carefully. Totally. I went walked into this burger place um, in London and I couldn't tell if it was a meat burger or, and I assumed it wasn't because it looked sort of just, the vibe of the place. Yeah. And, You're you like, know, hang on a minute. Um, yeah. But I, so I just got their basic burger and then I thought from the taste of it that it was vegetarian, but I couldn't entirely swear. I mean, yeah. that says everything, doesn't it? That I couldn't really sort of, wasn't quite certain if I was eating meat or not eating meat. So, um, hey, just speaking of food and London, um, mm. somebody put this on the Facebook group uh, for Chat 10 it was on the Kayama Community Facebook page and this mm. person posted, Hi, I thought I'd introduce myself. I'm the owner and chef of Otis Deli, which opened this week in Terralong Street, Kayama. Mm. I was previously the head chef in London's Otolenghi. What? And I found it hard to find any food like that in this area when Excuse I visited my Excuse me, I'm just popping family. out to Kayama. <laughs> So I packed up and moved back to Open Otis. Otis is a deli-style cafe with daily changing salads, proteins, pastries and vegetarian mains. It's all at a display-style counter. Basically, Otolenghi has opened in Kayama. Get out of town. I know. Can we find out the secret of those meringues? Well, I think we just need to go. Can we just storm there? <laughs> I, storm I, I, the you know what I thought about sharing this publicly because I felt like... Well, you are now, Dulce. I know, but I did I did think, should I just keep it a secret until I can get down there and actually <laughs> avail myself of it? <laughs> It'll be like crushed under a like a mound of <laughs> ladies in interesting glasses. <laughs> well, I've got my phone open it. I've got a little photo here that reminded me of another story I wanted to tell you, which yeah. is... When I was on holidays, um, me and my friend Lisa Miller were staying up the Sunshine Coast with our friend Andrea. Yes. And Lisa was needed to get a haircut when she got back to Melbourne because she had just moved to Melbourne and she was trying to find a new hairdresser and so she Googled it and she found this Harper's Bazaar article and it was just absolutely cracking us up because she, so she started reading the reviews of the top 10 hairdressers in Melbourne and they were all like this. Founded by two friends, this extremely trendy laneway haunt combines modern streamlined aesthetics with rock and roll attitude and we were like, yeah, but can they cut hair? <laughs> Next one. This eye-catching salon looks more like an art installation than your usual hair hub. But can they cut hair? <laughs> we were like screaming by the end of the article every time. Can they even cut hair? We turned up like, we can do a latte, skinny or whatever, but like, we got no scissors. We've got some plant-based burgers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, you may have suggested Parasite, but I'd like to point out that mm. I suggested something very wonderful, uh, which was Succession. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. And I'm you in. watched it. I, look. All of it? Right. So here's how I dealt with Succession, because I know it's like the It series, you in your hackneyed way have settled on something <laughs> widely traversed by hoi polloi, unlike, you know, those of us who spot South Korean winners like a mile out, right? True. <clears throat> anyway, so I started watching it and Jeremy kind of like stopped watching it with me after about, oh, oh. he kind of tailed off a bit because he said, accurately, I think, there is not a single redeeming character in this series. No. And that is true, but I am less put off by that yeah. possibly because I've worked around politics for so long. It, I'm I like, reckon it, so everyone's craven <laughs> and venal. It does hit a flat patch, Get I reckon, popcorn. about halfway through season one too. It recovers. Right. So I kind of. 
I was puttering along. I was, to be frank, I was born along almost 100% uh, by my um, love for Sarah Snook, who oh, is, yeah. I just, she is so good. Um, her side eye is unrivaled <laughs> in the acting world, I think. Um, and I think she's so beautiful. I can't stop looking at it. Anyway, so um, love her, Aussie chick, of course. Um, and also Kieran Culkin, oh, who's just the most foul-mouthed, yeah. brilliantly Ianuchian, dreadful character. Yeah. I mean, they're all awful, um, but he is particularly particularly enjoyable. Anyway, so I'm puttering along. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, oh, there's another whole series to go. I don't know. And then the last episode just slammed my attention back. I mean, it's so dramatic um, yeah. and such a, a plot. Is it the wedding? Right Is that the wedding? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then I'm just like, get me that next series yeah. stat. So I am motoring through that next series okay. now. Right. And um, now Jeremy because I had a few early nights, has sort of caught up. He, he went back oh, to it because okay. I persisted and now he's right back oh, in, the, okay. in the traces again. So okay. we are about to come back into, right. you know, um, simultaneous watching mode. So for the last couple of eps. Have you got this, are you at the subplot yet with Roman and Jerry? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I am there. I that am there. That is one of my favourite sort of aspects of the show. I found that so It is, yeah, it's disgusting. Just, it's it's just so good. It's so funny. Um, also, and I, I don't really have a view one way or the other about Brian Cox. Um, I'm aware he has his devotees. But somebody only just told me the other day, I think it was Murph, that um, – there's a whole bunch of videos on YouTube of him simply pronouncing Scottish whiskies. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't even know who did. Maybe the Scottish whiskey council. I saw a couple of them and it's just literally him sitting in a <laughs> in an armchair like Dave Allen and he's got this sort of glass of whiskey and a bottle in front of him and he just has a sip and he goes, Lafrey. <laughs> It's so great stupidly great useless. Yeah, I know. That's it's, hilarious. There ought to be more of it. You know, really, really, very, very uh, economically sized chunks on YouTube. Anyway, the um, remember at the start of Lost in Translation when Bill Murray's doing the Japanese yeah, yeah. Centauri time or yeah. whatever he's got to say a million different ways. Yeah, um, booze adverts have sort of thanks to Lost in Translation taken on this patina of humiliation, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> thanks to that. When film. you next start doing booze ads, I'll know. Yeah. <laughs> You've fallen on the hard times. Exactly. Yeah, only putting them to air in, you know, Malaysia or something. I don't know, Malaysia would be a bad I'm place. Doing Polish vodka. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. go to a drunken country <laughs> yeah, where they drink to forget. Are you enjoying Chat Tan Looks 3? Is this pointless ad giving you an opportunity to make a cup of tea? Well, you are welcome. If you do enjoy our company, uh, you can interact on a just a dizzying array of online platforms you can go to our website www.chat10looks3.com where you'll have the, all the show notes from every show we've ever done thanks Brenda uh, there's also um, a little link through to uh, a bookshop called Bedside Table where you can purchase if you'd like any of the books that we've talked about in the podcast you can also find merch if Gwen has been up to her terrible tricks and um, putting together diabolically hilarious merch can you make this a bit snappier? It's going to take us over the 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Are you for real? <laughs> anyway, uh, you can catch us on Instagram, on Twitter, or join the Facebook group, which is, well, that's just uh, something um, completely else indeed. 
Um, now I've look once again. I'm on a squillion podcast, yes, which I'm yeah. going to be feeding out to you over the next little bit. But um, I saw a news story um, yesterday, which actually I thought would just horrify you to the most unbelievable degree. Um, once again, it was supplied by Miranda Murphy. Um, so. A couple of days ago, it was confirmed that the Canadian virtuoso, her name's um, Angela Hewitt, she's supposed to be the greatest modern interpreter of Bach, um, she carries her piano around with her because it is so incredibly special. It's like it's her lover. You know, she's incredibly close to this instrument. Um, and um, a week or two ago, I'm not laughing, I'm really not, um, she was uh, recording uh, on it in some concert hall and this absolutely top-notch piano removals company dropped it when they were <sighs> moving it back to where it belongs and it is unsalvageable. <sighs> and um, it's an F278 Fazioli. I don't even know what that means. I don't know if it rings a bell for you. It was basically it was worth 150,000 euros or, or something but like who cares what it's worth because oh. now it's busted and the manufacturers have taken a look and just said I'm sorry this thing is I feel like I can, I can hear the sound of it when it got dropped like the oh and can you like imagine that. like these people whose one job it is to safely transport they, pianos they were mortified apparently. I feel like a, this hideous feeling of like dread and sort of anxiety just even hearing that story I mean can you imagine the like cold hand of horror that must have grabbed the heart of the people that were and, and there's and no the way of and the penis and you'd be thinking oh god, Christ can it be saved oh my god oh, because apparently sickening. it just snapped it, it really was yeah anyway oh, but I mentioned this a to freak you out on a molecular level <laughs> tick uh, and B as a handy little segue into this podcast that I've been listening to that Jeremy put me on to um, and uh, notice how prepared I am I think it's You're the studio very, it's I've made some notes even prepared. so yeah. that's quite exciting um, it's called cautionary tales I've I've actually consumed the entire series wow um, it's by a British journalist called Tim Harford and he's sort of like He's a bit of a Gladwell-esque. There's um, Gladwell has got some sort of link to this podcast. Um, it is um, he's got the same sort of interest in behavioural economics and lessons from history and stuff. So, and you know, I love that stuff. So, um, I kind of jumped into this series by um, means of one of the later episodes, which is called Bowie Jazz and the Unplayable Piano. Oh, and it tells the story of Keith Jarrett. You know the oh yeah. Um, He's a classical and jazz pianist and composer, um, absolute legend, was doing a tour in 1975 and this teenager who was at the time becoming Cologne's youngest um, jazz promoter, I'm sure it was a under-competed-for role, um, anyway, she booked the Cologne um, concert hall yeah. after another show for like a 10.30 gig because she said, look, I'm sure we can fill it out if you can make it here, Keith Jarrett. And he's That's like, his most famous recording, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. he turns up as the hall is enter, um, emptying from the previous show and finds that instead of um, installing the piano that he had requested, they'd mistakenly brought this mini um, 
grand, baby grand, right. that hadn't been played for two years and was an absolute mess. Oh, my God. So he sits down, has a bit of a plinkety-plonk and just loses it. There's no way that I can do this. It's completely a disaster. Everybody is in tears. You know, it's a shocker. He is quite a fussy dude anyway, apparently. I read when I was I mean, doing he just, a... he, he just he insists no, on like, having just, a piano no, that's no, in no, tune. No, no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that he's – okay, because he's very opposed to audience noise apparently. Oh, and when okay. I Google stalked him afterwards to find out more about him, I um, found this story about how – he just hates people coughing oh. while he's performing. And so he has in the past handed out cough lollies at oh. the door, like to winter concerts. Oh. And he's also done something where he stops and then orchestrates a huge audience group cough so that everyone can oh. get it out of their system and then keep going. Oh my which God. I gotta say, I think that's good. I wow. think it's good. You may as well channel your neurosis into something productive, okay? Anyway, so he freaks out. He goes off to an Italian restaurant where he's booked to have dinner after the rehearsal and he's kind of absolutely puzzling with himself about whether to go through with this or whether to pull out, which is his natural um, instinct. There's a screw-up at the restaurant. He doesn't get his dinner, like, so <laughs> he gets a couple of bites of pasta and then he's thoroughly shitty by this stage, so he stomps back. Is it raining? I don't know. Probably it's raining. Sits down. And because this thing is a sticky old beast, he plays in a completely different way because he's compensating for this crappy piano oh. and they decide to record it because they're there anyway. What's the point of not recording it? And that becomes his most famous recording oh. ever. Oh, my God, the culture. Right. Yeah. And it's because he's playing, well, he's, he's pressing the keys more heavily because this piece of junk isn't ah. responsive. Anyway, there's a whole series of wow. musical explanations that went over my head for why why it sounded the way that it did. But it's 100% about his compensation for this bizarre machine that he found himself playing. And is this the Bowie jazz episode? Right, right yeah. Okay. So, um, so th the thesis that um, Harford is exploring and every one of these podcast episodes is about um, exploring a behavioural aspect of humanity um, that arises from a cautionary tale. And oh, so the cautionary, awesome. it's a really good series, right? Like there's about four other episodes that I could tell you about, but this is the one that Jeremy noticed and was like gabbing onto me about and eventually I listened to him and oh god yeah that is brilliant um so he then he looks at bright at like the, the the theory is sometimes being pushed out of your comfort zone into oh, coping yeah. with a change with which you you're not happy can actually improve things so then uh, Harford goes on to talk about Brian Eno and his annoying habit of making people play instruments that they can't play oh. and <laughs> how you sometimes get something weird freaky and amazing because you've done that is it that one right Should I download that is yeah that that's it, it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. cautionary tales anyway um she's downloading it as we speak um but the other thing oh, there's another amazing study and I'll shut up about it um that that um uh, the journal mentions in this podcast which is um a psychological study um, that was published in the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin in 2009 where they did this test of um, getting people to sit together in a room and solve a murder mystery, you know, with clues and whatever, you know, like one of those escape room things. And they tried putting people with their friends and then they tried putting people with people that they didn't know and people that they were different from. And they found out that while people were, m were more comfortable with their friends and preferred to be with their friends – their productivity in solving problems 
escalated when they were put with unusual oh, and different people. Wow. Yeah, that they didn't really enjoy. So ah. anyway, all of this podcast is in pursuit of this theory about um, being out of your comfort zone and how it can often yield um amazing and different oh, results. Anyway. so good. And I really ran out of episodes of that podcast really quickly because um, there's some terrific ones and um, I really recommend it. The only thing that's annoying about this podcast, I'll say it right now, is, and I don't know why they've done this production-wise, but sometimes they do voiceovers, like they'll – like. They will reenact oh. sometimes with like a like a German accent or something. Oh, it's just okay. like, oh, guys, you didn't have to do that. It doesn't wreck it, but like, yeah. There's so, up as, other episodes out of this. This amazing account of a cargo ship crash at, um, in the Scilly Islands and about what was going on in the captain's mind, how crashes happen even when you can see them happening. When people commit to a certain course of action, they're unwilling to change <sighs> their strategy until it's too late. Oh, oh yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have got a podcast that I have am unscratchably addicted to, but I want to save it for the next um, discussion we have because I really want to indulge in it, and we're nearly at the end. Yeah, of I think time, I've really, so I wanna, I've, I've really shot um, our load on podcasts. Yeah, I think so. I, I really have got one. I'm dying, dying, dying to talk to you about. But I'll just finish this episode by talking about. Um, just while we're on music, um, Keith Jarrett. Are we? Oh, yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> <laughs> How incautious of me. Damn it. Um, I left the door open for you. So I went to see, and I will say basically that I was bullied into seeing this, I oh, went to see. I know what you're going to say. Hamilton. <laughs> and now, your face when people are yelling at you to go and see Hamilton. Oh. When you're in London, you're like, your lips could not have got more pursed. It was like halfway through Cat's level of pursed lipness. Full cat's bum. That's what we'll call it now. Cat's bum. So I reckon, I, I'm sure even just me admitting that I've seen Hamilton will have caused, you know, a significant portion, proportion of listeners of this podcast to just squeal because yeah. so many people I reckon when we first me. started doing this podcast five years ago and I'd never heard of the Hamilton podcast, someone wrote to us and said, you've got to see Hamilton, like get, oh, get across it. It has been, I feel like, you, you know, know, basically the a group of people the size of the population of Taiwan has badgered me to see Hamilton. And, and you would be, I imagine... Possibly the only person in history ever to go and see Hamilton in a grumpy mood because you're just like, not, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God, I get to see this amazing musical. It's like, but you know, stupid, probably will hate it. So I didn't, I've, I've been, uh, you know, it's been running for quite a long time now and I've been in New York a couple of times. It's so expensive and I just thought I can't. I just can't pay 800 US to go and see something like that. 800? 800 US it was when I was there. And I just thought, I'm not paying that amount of money. And I'd say this to people and people would go, oh, well, you should have because it's worth it. You should just sacrifice other things and pay the money because it's worth it. And I just was thinking, it is a musical about the Treasury Secretary told in hip hop. Like, I'm not going to like it. Why am I getting bullied about it? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so then I'm in London. <laughs> any, any person I've told I'm going to London, you've got to go to Hamilton, you've got to go to Hamilton, da, 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 constantly. So finally I had one free night and I thought, all right, let's have a look at what's on, <sighs> see Hamilton. And I think I said, I thought, okay, I'm just going to look and see if there's one single ticket by itself and then what it costs and then I'll make my decision. So um, there was one ticket left on this Saturday night. So I thought, okay, I'm going. And then I got there and I was sitting there and I was grouchy and that I was thinking, I'm jet lagged, I'm tired, I'm not going to like this, blah, blah, blah. And then I was full of self-loathing because I was like, yeah. you are such an entitled mole because look at you. Like you've got the money to go and see this, one of the world's great shows, the buzz in the room, like the audience yeah. was, everyone except me was so excited. And so I thought just for <laughs> God's sake, bloody have a look at yourself and, you know, bloody, you know, stop it. Forced down a beluga <laughs> on, some, on a cracker and... <laughs> 
glass of champagne. Anyway, it started and then basically from like the opening one minute, it, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was so good. And that's with so many people telling me, oh, it's so good, it's so good. I was thinking there's no way it can be that good. It was that good. It was effing unbelievable. At, at the interval, I was texting various people who really bullied me and just going, oh, my God, this is insane. <laughs> and uh, since I loved it so much, I then there were certain tunes that as soon as they came on, I just thought, well, I'm going to be singing that for a week. So yeah. just to give for people who know the soundtracks, people are such devotees, the Kings one with that. As soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, that's going to be in my head forever. Um, and so I got the soundtrack when I came out and then I've since been actually going through the book of it. Of course you have. To understand I, 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 my mind just boggled when I was watching it. Like how did Lin, Mar Lin Manuel Miranda get this out of his head onto paper? But even more, how did they get this off paper onto stage? Like yeah. it was, and the thing that was incredible too was it was an absolute revelation how well hip hop lent itself to a musical because hip hop's basically a narrative and the musical is like stories told through song. So yeah. actually hip hop works brilliantly to, for a musical. And Alexander Hamilton was this immigrant to New York who was this sort of scrappy, you know, sort of brash dude. Yeah. And so his vibe sort of fits really well with hip hop as well. So, and then of course, everyone on stage was just so unbelievably talented. Note, sales is now sales planning why this is so good. <laughs> This is possibly incredible. the most annoying outcome from this entire <laughs> annoying experiment. <laughs> and then now when I'm reading the book, so it's annotated by Lin-Manuel Miranda, the lyrics, and so he'll explain, you oh, know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And Did you so, get the book on the night? No. My Did friend, you get the underpants Pam and the suspenders? And the, <laughs> no. My friend Pam lent me. It's this gigantic big, it's called wow. Hamilton Revolution, this gigantic book. Um, and so he explains lyrically some of the influences but also musically like this this line because you'll hear certain lyrics or hear certain riffs and you'll think that's familiar and then he'll say well this is actually influenced by South Pacific or this is influenced by Ja wow. Rule oh that whatever. sounds cool it's really amazing anything by um, Ja Wobble no um that I'm so aware of jar. uh anyway it is so it was really really amazing I can't I can't even express how amazing it was and, and as I've made abundantly clear I had really low expectations it well, was I, amazing I am thrilled that that happened for you I really am and um and well it's coming to Australia so it is um, yeah run do not walk well we put our names down on the waiting list straight away hearing your response because finally yeah I'm um, <laughs> also Audrey my um, 13 year old daughter is obsessed with it already and has been listening to the um soundtrack um, a friend of mine, Fleur, who lives in your end of yours, um, said that she took her kids to see it, and it's a good idea to listen to the soundtrack first, so that you know they're across the songs. And yeah, I went to it completely cold, and uh, I could still follow it fine. But I think your degree of enjoyment would be enhanced if you were mm. very familiar with the like like anything, because you know what's coming, and you can look forward to it, and it's really great. Just um, while we're on taking your kids to things, I took the kids to Shrek the Musical that's on in Australia, right? And Jay they Hockey really loved no. it. No. <laughs> <laughs> they <Just> really. <laughs> <laughs> they really, really loved it. So that is, um, that's a sort of super good fun thing to take your kids to if you get the opportunity. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's go. I'm spent. I, I'm spent. <laughs> Do you know what? I just went to hit stop recording oh, on my phone love. and I realised. No, out of I your hands. Have to. That's a list of finger. 